All right, we are going to get into the word tonight. This is our personal holiness for women lesson five. I do see a few. Um, can you let them in the back door, please? Thank you. I do see a few uh, new faces tonight. And I know that there's been some ladies who have been trying really hard to get here on Wednesdays and due to work schedules um, or husband's work schedules, you've not been able to make it. So if this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. We are in week five. So um, just to kind of give you a brief um, catch up, and it'll have to be real brief, we have been talking about personal holiness. We've been talking about how holiness means to be like Jesus, starts on the inside and works its way outside. And all that we do, say, the way we look, the way we act, the way we, we carry ourselves. Um, and so we have been taking just very short baby steps. And um, tonight we are going to be talking more in depth about inward holiness. And I know we talked a little bit about this last week, kind of explaining the differences between inward and outward holiness. And so tonight we're going to dig pretty deep into inward holiness. And it's very important, very, very important. We have to get this. All right. So if you have your notebook or if you have a piece of paper, something to take notes on, I'm going to ask you to get that piece of paper out right now and a pen. We're going to start with an exercise that we will refer to again at the end of our lesson. However, this one's a little bit different than we've done in past weeks. Um, oh, one plug here. If you have not been here for all um, four weeks prior, they are available on our podcast. So if you've missed any of them, please go back and listen so you can be all caught up. All right, so we've been doing this little exercise at the beginning every week, but this one's going to be a little bit different because it is highly personal, right? This is not going to be something that you share. You can even kind of like put your hand around your paper if you'd like because this is very personal. It's to the individual. This is between you and the Lord, all right? This is here. I don't need to know what you write down. Nobody beside you needs to know. So the first thing you're going to write, you're going to be writing two numbers on this piece of paper, and I want you to write them pretty big, okay? One number will go on the top, and the second number is going to go right underneath that on the bottom, okay? The first number, I want you to take just a moment and think. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord because he already knows. Since leaving service on Sunday, write down how many hours you would estimate that you have spent on entertainment this week. TV, movies, Facebook, social media, Sports, games, shopping, downtime. Think about leaving service on Sunday. Think about your Sunday. What did you do? Think about Monday. 
morning, afternoon, evening, before you go to bed, think about Tuesday, think about Wednesday up to this moment right here. How many hours have we spent on these types of things? Okay, underneath that number, you're gonna write another number. Since leaving service on Sunday, write down how many hours you would estimate that you have spent in prayer, Bible study, and worship. That would be personal prayer time at home, Bible reading and devotions, listening to a godly podcast or a sermon online, worshiping to godly music. I will tell you that I already did this exercise at home before I asked you to do it. And um, I would say that it wasn't terrible, but it was an eye-opener for me. Um, the, the amount of time that I can spend at something, and it time passes just like that. Anybody ever, be honest, anybody ever picked up your phone and thought, I'm just going to check on somebody on Facebook, I'm going to be on there for like two minutes, and the next thing you know, it's like 45 minutes passed by, and you're like, what just happened? Does that happen to anybody or just me? Yes. So when we really have to sit and think about how we're spending our time, it can be quite eye-opening to us when we really sit down. And I know pastors shared this before, I think with the church. In the iPhone, there's a feature that you can go back in and put time limits and watch your apps and the first time that he went in and set this and was checking all of the time spent on each app, he threw his phone and was like, get that thing away from me. It's shocking the amount of time we can spend, especially with this crazy thing in our hand. And so I just want us, this is not to shame you. This is not, like I said, this is personal. I'm not asking anybody to share this. I just want us to think how we've spent our time this week, okay? And we're going to come back to this at the end of our lesson tonight. All right, so we um, are talking about inward and outward holiness, and every person has three parts, okay? You, each person in this room, each one of us, there's three parts to you. You are a body, you are a soul, and you have a spirit, all right? Body, soul, and spirit, each one of us, all right? So every person has a body, soul, and spirit, and we have been talking about holiness. Now, every part of a person matters to God. Body, soul, and spirit matters to him. It's all important to him, and over the coming weeks, we're going to discover the different ways that it matters to God our body, our soul, and our spirit. But when it comes to holiness, we can't be out of balance and have holiness in some parts of us and not in all of us, right? God wants us to have holiness all through us, body, soul, and spirit. So inward holiness that we're talking about tonight is that inside stuff that deals with our soul 
and our spirit, okay? Now, it does affect what happens in our body, as we've been talking about in past weeks. It all kind of works together, right? But inward holiness is the dealing of our soul and our spirit. Let's turn, turn to Psalm 51, verse 6. This is a Psalm of David. I love David's writings. And he says this, Behold, thou, meaning God, desires truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So in this scripture, David is speaking about our inward parts. And we're going to be talking a lot about that tonight, the inward part. The fact of the matter is the inward part of you is just as much you as the outward part that everyone sees. And last week we talked about how in Samuel, uh, the scripture says that man looks at the outward appearance and God sees the heart. Yes, that means that man walks up to you and sees this. I can't see your inward part. I can't see what's in there. Only God can see that within you. All right? And so in that inner part, God wants us to have truth. He wants us to have righteousness. He wants us to have holiness inside of us. He wants us that he wants that to be deep within us. So the soul part of you I'm going to break this down. If you've never heard this teaching before, this is very good stuff. Okay, everybody say, that's good stuff. If you've heard this before, write it down again because it's still good stuff. The soul is a person's mind, will, and emotions. That's your soul. So whenever the Bible is talking about my soul, my soul, my soul, right, and I think of Mary this time of year, the mother of Jesus, when she found out she was with child. Mary's song, what did she say? My soul doth magnify the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean that her hands flew up in the air and she's shouting all over the place? Her soul was magnifying the Lord. Now, sometimes when we have an experience in our soul, our body does react but Mary is talking about her soul. It's her mind, her will, and her emotions. Does everybody in here have a mind? Raise your hand if you don't have one of those. Don't believe it. And as we've talked before, that's usually our biggest problem. That's our biggest downfall is that mind. What's going on right here in this head is oftentimes what causes us the most trouble, right? So that's a part of your soul, your mind. Anybody have a will? Somebody maybe say stronger than others? Yeah, we can be pretty strong-willed, right? We're women. We can be strong-willed. So that's a part of your soul, your will, your personal will, your desire, what you want, what you wish, what you will. And then the other part of your soul is your emotions. Everybody in here have emotions? Don't tell me you don't. It's a room full of women. We've got lots of those. 
All right, so our soul is our mind, will, and emotions, and your soul is driven by the five senses, okay? So what you touch, what you see, what you smell, what you hear, all right, uh, taste. I know I was missing one. The five senses drive your mind to think certain things, drive your will to purpose something, and drive those emotions, right? Now, many times we take this information that we receive through our five senses and we allow our soul to then direct us because of certain thoughts we've had, because of our will or our desires, and because of our emotions. We're really good at that one, ladies. We allow the information we've taken in through our five senses to cause us to think a certain way, to cause us to react a certain way, and to cause us to have certain emotions, right? And then unfortunately, many times, we allow our emotions to then be our rudder on that ship and guide us. That's the worst thing we can do. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful. You can't trust it. You can't trust what's going on in that mind. You can't trust what's going on in your emotions. That's why we have to follow after the spirit, right? Okay, so we all have this thing, this soul. We are a soul. That's the part of you that is your mind, your will, and emotions. Now, the spirit is the other part of you that is inward, all right? This is not your body. We're not talking about that this week. But your spirit is that person, that part of you deep within that was made. I love this. It was made to connect to God. The spirit is the part of you that communicates with God. It is your connection point to your creator. One of the philosophers, and I wish I could remember off the top of my head who said this, but one of them said, deep within every man is a God-sized hole. That we need, we long for that connection. Every human being has that hole in their spirit that longs to connect with their creator. And if you don't get to know him, and if you don't make that connection with your creator, you will begin filling that hole with everything that you can find to take up that space. But that hole was made for God. It was made to be a connection point between you and God. That is your spirit. So the spirit is the part of your person that connects to God. And we were designed, we were designed so that our soul and our spirit then guides what happens on the outside. Okay? We can't always trust it. That's why we need to make that connection with God. Because on my own, I can't be trusted. I'm telling you, I'm a crazy person. Okay, I cannot be trusted on my own. So I need that connection with the Lord so I will be guided in the right direction, right? Okay, if you think this is crazy talk, and I do have a degree in psychology, so if this sounds like a bunch of psycho mumbo jumbo, let me take you back to the book of Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, 
And let me show you that this has always been. From the beginning of humanity, this is the way we're made. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's actions, the things that they did on the outside, the choices that they made, we've heard the story, they were driven by their soul and spirit. What was happening on the outside, the things that they were doing on the outside, was a product of what was really going on inside. Now, nobody was there with them, okay? But I'm sure if one of us would have been there as a witness to what was happening and taking place in that garden, we wouldn't have seen the issues of their soul. We wouldn't have seen the issues within their spirit. Because man sees on the outside. But God could see what was happening within them before the problem ever even happened. Before the sin was committed, before they went too far, there was something going on inside of them. Before they ate of the tree, we do know that their spirits were touched by God each day. They had a daily connection with him. The Bible tells us that he came And he spent time with them in the garden. He communed with them. That was God connecting to their spirits. God's spirit would come down and he would walk with them and he would commune with them. In turn, when they were spending time with God and they were in communion with him, their spirit could control their soul or their mind, their will, and their emotions. All right? The soul then controls what the body does. So this is why after they had eaten of the fruit, they were spiritually dead. They actually died in their spirits, not in their bodies, but their spirits died and that connection to God was severed. The rest of the story of the Bible is all about God's search for a way to heal that breach so that his spirit could connect with us again and could lead us and guide us and lead us so we can make the right choices in our actions. Right? That's what the whole Bible is about. His relationship with mankind trying to fix this sin problem that started in the garden. So since the beginning of time, this has been the way it is. Man was created body, soul, and spirit. The spirit was made to commune with God. When the soul decides that it's not going to keep things right and there's a problem, an issue within the soul, then the spirit is tainted. And the body will react in such a way that says, oh, something was going on in there that we just couldn't see right? A good analogy of this is if your hand touches a hot burner on the stove. First, it is your spirit that senses danger from your five senses. Your spirit responds. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. It says, ouch, that's hot. That's what your spirit does. Then your emotions kick in because you feel pain. And we're really good at responding in our emotions when we feel pain. Emotions respond to that, what our spirit has told us. And so this 
allows us to outwardly respond and take action. What do we do? We pull our hand away as quick as we can. We're responding to what we've just felt on the outside, that information, that stimulus that we took in, and then we're, we're quickly, our spirit tells us that something's wrong, our emotions get involved, and we're able to react in our body. All of this takes place in a matter of seconds. But the process is always the same because that's the way God designed us, body, soul, spirit. And they all work together. Now, it's a good thing that they all work together because in the example that I just gave you, we can save our hand, right? Because we can respond with this incredible mind and will and emotion that he's given to us, we can respond and we can save our hand. But unfortunately, also, because they all work together, if something is wrong in the inner parts that David talked about in Psalm 51, if something is wrong in there, it's going to affect the other parts of us, whether it be our spirit or our body. It's going to affect us. So it starts within us. And this whole scenario that I just laid out for you is the difficulty that each one of us have every single day. And remember in past lessons, we've talked about sanctification, right? We've talked about that process. Well, we're not going to be sanctified until we reach heaven. We are in that daily process of it. And because of that, open up your Bible and you can see that it's always been a problem. Body, soul, spirit. Getting it all right. Getting it all in alignment. Right? It's always been a problem. So this is nothing new. But this is why mankind has never been able to govern ourselves without laws and punishments. Our spirits are tainted, and because of this, everything is tainted down the line. If your spirit is tainted, and it's not right with God, then your soul is tainted, and it's not right with God. If your soul is tainted, then guess what? Eventually, your actions will display that. It will eventually, as we've said, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in some way. It's going to be on display in our body. You can see this happen in the Bible in what we call dispensations. So there's different progressions of God's relationship with people in the Bible where the fall of man happened in the garden and then he tried to commune with them and he tried to you know, establish a, a new set of guidelines and boundaries with them. He made for them clothes. Did you know that? They were naked and they were sinful now and so God, they, they designed their own clothes. They thought they were fashion designers and God was like, wait a second, no, I do not like your leaves. Put something more on and he made clothes for them. So he established some guidelines for them. 
And ever since the beginning, God has been doing this with mankind. He's been giving laws and punishments, and he's been, look at Noah, right, in the flood. And so in that time period, we can see this progression that once again, mankind had messed up, and judgment came. And then they were going to replenish the earth, and it wasn't too long even after God had cleansed the earth by a flood, it wasn't too long and the people were right back where they started, messed up again. So mankind is unable to govern ourselves unless our spirit is touched by his spirit and we allow that spirit to control our soul our mind, our will, and our emotions. I guarantee you, anytime you open the pages of this book and you see a people that has turned their back on God, we get so frustrated with the children of Israel, but really, we're no different. And anytime we open this book and we look at these, these individuals and we see, oh, I can't believe they did that. Guess what? It wasn't what they did that started the whole progression. It was what was in here. Something wasn't right in their spirit. And their soul was affected by it. And when your soul gets affected, I can just tell you, oh, trouble comes. That's that mind. That's that will. That's those emotions. So what we need is we need his spirit to touch our spirit and to transform us. And we need to allow his spirit in us to then take the ship, so to speak, and guide our mind, to guide our will, to guide our emotions. So we've already read it tonight. Psalm 51 and 6. I'm going to read it one more time. It's, it's that good. David said, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. That's what we need. We need his truth not just on the outside, but we need his truth deep in our inner parts. We need his truth to be so deep in us that it's driving us. It is the reason we do what we do. It is the force behind every decision that we make because it's deep in our inner parts, truth. And then it goes on to say in a hidden part, What's the hidden part? Well, Lisa, I can't see your soul and your spirit tonight, honey. No matter how hard I look, I just can't see it. That's the hidden part of each one of us. The hidden part, he wants us to know wisdom. Deep within us, it's not a surface wisdom. It's not a surface truth. It's not a surface holiness. It's so much more than that. It's deep within us. 
So this is God's desire for us. And David acknowledges God's desire for our lives in this verse. I love this verse. He wants truth in our inward parts. He wants it to be deeper than what everyone else sees on the outside. He wants that holiness, that truth, that wisdom to be so deep within you that it's deeper than anything I can see. It's deeper than anything your pastor can see. It should be deeper than anything that the person sitting beside you tonight can see. It should go way down into our soul and our spirit. Why would God want that for us? He wants all of us. He doesn't just want lip service. He doesn't just want the outside, everything looks okay. But he wants the inside. He wants all three parts of you. Say that. He wants all of me. He wants our body, our soul, and our spirit. He created you, and he wants all of you to be in communion with him. He wants us to be holy because he is holy, right? Let's turn to that scripture. That's a good one. It's 1 Peter 1, 16. I have none of these marked in my Bible tonight with bookmarks like I do when I'm teaching. So I feel every time I'm playing a sword drill with you guys. I'm trying to be there and get there as fast as I can so you're not sitting here looking at me. Okay, 1 Peter 1.16. It says this, Because it is written, Be ye holy. Why, you might ask? For I am holy. That's why. He wants to commune with you, right? He wants every part of you. And he is holy. So he wants you to be holy. Because a holy God cannot coexist with unrighteousness. He cannot commune with you in your spirit if there's unrighteousness. So that's why. So that we can be holy as he is holy. We're never going to reach that perfection, but we can strive towards holiness each and every day until we get to heaven and all things are made perfect. I want to commune with him. I want him to have every part of me. Amen? Holiness, like everything that God does, holiness has an order to it. Right? So God is a God of order. He doesn't like things to be in chaos. Where there's chaos, he speaks to it and he sets it in order. Right? He did that in creation. And so he sets things in order. And holiness is just like that. It has an order. Holiness starts on the inside and makes its way out. We have to get things right inside. I said that last week a lot. We have to get things right on the inside. And I have good news for you. God will help you. God will help us get it right. We don't have to come to him right, 
perfect. Here I am, Lord, all polished and pretty for you. No, we can come to him and say, God, I need your help. I need you to help me get this right in my soul. I need you to give me a right spirit, right? David prayed that, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew in me a right spirit. Right there in that one sentence, that prayer, you're addressing both soul and spirit. David was asking God to help him in those inner parts of him. And he will help us. Holiness is a threefold process. Outward holiness without inward holiness is as filthy rags. If we have outward hope, excuse me, outward holiness, but it's not inside, it's not in our inner parts, then what we have is false holiness that is rooted in self-righteousness, vanity, and pride. Inward holiness must come first. It must be of utmost importance to us because like I've told you, If we get that right in our spirit, in our soul, it's going to naturally come out and happen on the outside. Jesus talked about this to the Pharisees. He told the Pharisees that they must clean up their spirits for their outward holiness to even count. Let's turn to Matthew 23 and 26. You can read this whole um, chapter here, Matthew 23, when Jesus, as they say it in Appalachia, he gave them the what for. He talked to those Pharisees. He set them straight. But in verse 26, he says this, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. That's what he was teaching them. Get it right inside and the outside will fix itself. Get it right inside first because that's what matters. If you polish that cup and you polish that, that platter on the outside, think about that. If you're doing dishes and you take a dirty cup and it had let's just say hot cocoa, and you know how that dries in there? Marshmallows even, there we go. You've got that cup, and you're like, I'm going to clean this up, and I'm going to polish it all on the outside. I'm going to set it up here on my shelf. People might very well walk past it and say, what a beautiful cup. But you didn't clean out the inside? Is it really clean at all? No. So it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't even matter if the outside looks good, if the inside is not clean. So Jesus told the Pharisees, clean up your spirit or the outward holiness doesn't even matter, doesn't even count. Like the Pharisees, Christians will often get the sequence of holiness backwards and mixed up. Sometimes we try to clean it all up on the outside without giving a second thought to what's in here. We don't think much about our spirits. We don't think a whole lot about our soul. 
Is my spirit and my soul right with God? Is it holy? Is it godly? Is it full of truth and wisdom, as David said? Why do we make this error? I was thinking really hard about that. Why would we just clean it up on the outside and not really take the time to work on what's in here? Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4. And this is the reason I came up with. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Why would we clean things up on the outside and not pay any attention to what's inside? If we're guilty of that, that should tell us that what we're trying to do is please everyone around us, to look good for for everyone else, but not for God. Because he's the one that sees the inside. And we can do that. We can clean up that cup, just like the hot cocoa cup, and we can set it on a shelf, and it can look pleasing to everyone that comes in our house, and they'll say, oh, look, so clean and perfect and beautiful. But God knows what's in there. Let's turn to Galatians 1 and 10. I think I wrote down the wrong scripture. No, I didn't. There it is. Galatians 1 and 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You are his. He is the one that you should be worried about pleasing. He is the one that matters. He is the one that we will all stand before on judgment day and give an account. He is the one that is longing to commune and make that connection in your spirit. And he is the only one that can fill that hole and give you true peace and contentment and joy. He's the one. And so if we are cleaning things up and putting on this facade and wearing our mask just so we can look good on the outside, we have to remember that it is not man we are doing any of this for. It is God. And you can fool all of us. You can fool me. You can fool your pastor. You can fool your spouse. You can fool everybody. And sometimes we can put on these good polished persona and have everyone fooled but guess who is not fooled God because he knows what's in there it's humbling isn't it it makes you think all right so let's turn back to first Corinthians 6 and 20 
I mentioned last week the verse in Samuel people like to use a lot to try to say, well, don't judge me because, you know, outward holiness doesn't matter to God because the verse in Samuel says, man looks at the outward appearance and God sees the heart, right? God sees the outward appearance. God wants you to be holy in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. The command to be holy doesn't just say, be ye holy in your soul because I am holy. Right? It doesn't say, be ye holy just in your spirit, nothing else matters. doesn't say that. The scripture says, be ye holy. You. That means you should be holy. Who are you? Body, soul, spirit. So every part of us should be touched by God's holiness. So to sit here and say, well, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. No. That is a complete twisting of scripture. God does look at the body. He does look at the soul. And he does look at the spirit. It just so happens that everyone around you can only see the one part. But God can see the inner workings. So let's read in 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It all matters to him. He wants us to glorify him, to bring glory to him, to be his representative of holiness and truth and wisdom. He wants it in our body. He wants it in our inner man. He wants all of us. So all of it is important. So I'm just touching on this because I know we're talking a lot about this inner workings. And that's where it starts. And that's the part that God sees that we can't see of each other. But it doesn't mean that the rest of it isn't important. God wants us to glorify him in our body and in our spirit. Now, how in the world is this possible? Does anybody have trouble with that? Raise your hand. You have trouble? If you don't have your hand up, you're not being honest right now. Does anybody ever have trouble being holy? Everybody's hands. There we go. There we go. Nobody is exempt because you live in this flesh. So we're all going to battle it until we reach heaven, right? I worry when you don't raise your hand. I'm playing, but I worry when you don't raise your hand because that means that you're not being real with yourself. That you're not recognizing that we all need God, that we are not holy in and of ourselves, right? We need him in our body and in our spirit, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do. So how can we do this? How can we be holy as he is holy, body, soul, spirit, all of it? We do this by making sure that those inner parts and the outward line up. Many times we take great glory in our outward demonstrations of holiness, 
oh, look how I worship the Lord across the front of the church on Sunday. Look how godly I look. We can take great pride in the outward demonstrations of holiness and inwardly we're ungodly. Hear me, because this is a very dangerous path. If we are holy on the outside, but it's not right inside, we are on a very dangerous path. Let's turn to the Old Testament, Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 18. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering the sardius, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire." Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy sin, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Did you ever dream that in all of that beauty and splendor, and holiness, we are talking about Satan. This chapter is about the fall of an angel named Lucifer. Notice that it talks about his outward beauty. He was beautiful. He was created to display the holiness of God. That was his purpose. All of those jewels was his covering. Picture that in heaven, ladies, as he's singing and he's worshiping in heaven. And the glory of God begins to shine upon him. And the beauty of holiness, the, the light shines on all of those precious jewels. Could you imagine how beautiful 
perfect in his worship, perfect in his ways. And in verse 15, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. Lucifer's problem wasn't on the outside. He was beautiful. He was holy. He showed forth the glory of a holy God. That was what he was made for. He was the cherubim, the angel that covered the glory of God. That was his responsibility. He was created to be a reflection of God's glory and holiness in heaven. But he became so consumed with his outward glory that he was neglecting his inner spirit being. Lucifer had a hard fall. He was cast from heaven. And his final day is coming, as is talked about at the end of this reading we just read. He'll be on display before all the nations. Can't we wait? The enemy of our soul will be cast into that lake for all eternity. All of the times he's lied to us and he's tricked us, his day's coming. But don't forget that he had a very hard fall and it hasn't always been this way. His sin began not on the outside. His sin began in his inner parts. So I ask us tonight, are we better than an angel? Are we better? Could we fall into that same trap? We must be careful that we are not trying to uphold an outward holiness standard so everyone can see how holy and perfect we are without striving for true inner holiness first. Before you show me the length of your hemline, show me the depth of your love for others. And I'm not saying that none of that matters. Hear me out. But that truly doesn't matter if it's not right in here. It's worthless. Like Jesus told the Pharisees, it's worthless. Why even do it? Why do it on the outside if it's not right inside? We have to make sure that it starts inside. And it works its way out. That's the proper order that God wants all of us to follow. This is really hard to do. And as I've said, the Lord will help us. Lucifer struggled, this angel of God, right? But it is possible. And you might even know somebody. Think about this for a moment. Do you know a good moral person? They work really hard to do what is right. They follow all the rules. They're a good citizen. They're just a good person, just kind, a good person. But they don't know God. They don't have the Holy Ghost in them. Do you know somebody like that? 
So it is possible for us to just do it all on the outside and clean us, you know, get it all cleaned up and just be this good moral citizen. But it is when we receive the Holy Ghost that we are able to have holiness in our inner parts that nobody sees. This is way more than just following a list of rules. It's way more than that. Let's turn to Jeremiah 31. And we're going to read verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their where? Inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother. I went too far. I'm sure verse 34 is an incredible scripture too, but we're going to stop it. Um, 33. So this is describing a new covenant between man and God where God would establish his law in the inner parts. It wouldn't just be tablets of stone. It wouldn't just be commandments and rules and lists to follow. But he would put it within. What we are reading about here is a new covenant between man and God that was established on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of God's spirit. We can read in Acts 2, Verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in Acts 2, we read the fulfillment of a prophecy in Jeremiah 31 that tells us that God is going to make a new covenant. Instead of the law being given on tablets of stone, he's going to write that law inside of our hearts. Who has the pen and who does the writing? It's the Holy Ghost. His spirit within us, that infilling of the Holy Ghost, gives us the power to walk this way. There are three steps to this initial infilling of the Holy Ghost we read about in this scripture. First, the Holy Ghost filled the house. Then it rested on each of them. So the Holy Ghost can move around. It can fill an area, an atmosphere. It can even rest on somebody. But then the third thing was that it filled them. And they knew that they were filled because they uttered an unknown tongue. 
From that day forward, we can experience the power of God inside of us, not just at church on Sunday, not just in an atmosphere around us, not just I feel his presence resting on me, but you can experience the power of the Holy Ghost within you. And that power within us is part of this new covenant where he writes on your heart. We now, like Adam and Eve, can commune with his spirit every day. Just as they communed with him, we can commune with him. Our spirit can connect with his spirit each day. His plan from thousands of years ago in the garden worked. And if you've experienced that for yourself, can you just give God some praise for that? Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. We thank you for your Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost makes it possible for us to have inward holiness. But this doesn't just happen. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. As you're turning there, say, I've got work to do. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. So what this is telling us is once our spirit has connected to his spirit, the Holy Ghost can illuminate, can light up, It's like a candle of the Lord searching the inward parts if we allow that light to change us. It's our choice. It's up to us. Once the spirit has made that connection to our spirit, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. We we can't expect his spirit to come in us And then everything is just going to happen just by osmosis. I'm just going to sit here and just wait for total transformation and change. I don't have to do anything. God's spirit is just going to do it all. Nope. It's that process called sanctification that we have been talking about. Let's turn to Mark 7, and I'm almost finished. Mark 7, verses 14 to 23. When he had called all the people unto them, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that enters into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, are ye so without understanding also? He gets real frustrated with these old boys. Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without enters into the man, it cannot defile him because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, 
blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Evil is from within and defiles us. So ask yourself, this little hole that we have, what are we filling that with? Are we filling it with God? Because that's what it was made for. It was designed for him. The more that you fill your inward parts with the spirit, praying in the spirit, with the word, with truth, the more you will produce holiness. In youth ministry, we always used to tell our teenagers, garbage in, garbage out. And sometimes garbage in just sits there and rots in your spirit. Your spirit is hungry and it's longing for a connection with a holy God. And Sunday to Sunday doesn't cut it. We need a connection with God every day. Our spirits were made for that. Look at the Garden of Eden every day. Do not starve yourself. You don't starve your body, right? I don't think any of us in this room are trying to deal with that. You don't starve your body. Don't starve your spirit. It's hungry. It wants to commune with God. But unfortunately, you are the one that's in control of that. It's a choice. Just like you have to get up in the morning and make a choice to fix yourself breakfast, you have to also make a choice to feed your spirit. Feed it. Pray in the spirit. Read your Bible. Listen to godly music. Be faithful to church so you can hear the preaching and the teaching of your word at of the word at your local church. I have nothing against podcasts. I listen to them. I have nothing against you know, pulling up some great apostolic preaching and listening to it on Facebook or, you know, whatever. But I will tell you this, that preacher did not prepare a word for you. All right. Your pastor and the leadership of your church prepares fresh bread for you, for your church, for this congregation. And you need to hear it. I'm not opposed to listening to good teaching throughout the week, but just remember, you must be faithful to the preaching and teaching at your local church because it's what God is saying, thus saith the Lord to this congregation. So what's some other ways we can feed this inner part? We can feed it so we're not starving. We can give it good food and nourishment because the Holy Ghost will help us, but we have to feed that spirit, we have to give it something to grow. It's our responsibility to cleanse ourselves each and every day. God's mercy is new every morning. So why would we not partake of it every day? Why would we not let that spirit make a connection to his spirit every single day? As we're closing tonight, I want you to be encouraged Okay, I want you to be encouraged that, no, we can't do this on our own. But when we allow the spirit of God to make that connection to our spirit on the inside, those inner workings begin happening. So pull out that piece of paper from the beginning of the night. We're going to revisit those two numbers that you wrote down at the beginning of our Bible study. And I want you to just take a look at those two numbers. Don't share them with anybody. 
stare at them? Could there be a reason that your soul feels hungry? Could there be a reason that you're spiritually starving or you're not satisfied? Could there be a reason? Maybe your numbers are fairly balanced, but could you spend a little more time with him and let him deal with some things? Could there be a reason that you're struggling with inward holiness? If we want to become more like him, we have to spend time with him. So we're going to pray before we leave tonight, and we're going to pray about those numbers. We're going to talk to the Lord about what's going on inside and our personal connection with him. Lord, we thank you, God, that we can assess ourselves, that we can assess our time with you, our relationship with you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help each and every woman under the sound of my voice, Lord, to renew commitments to you, God. We've tried to fill this hole, this void with entertainment, with Facebook. We've tried to fill it with friendship. We've tried to fill it with relationships with men. We've tried to fill it with relationships with our spouse. And God, we just know that that hole was made for you. Our spirit was made to have a connection with you. So God, help us to assess ourselves, God, this week. Help us, Lord, to connect with you on a personal level, Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, that your mercy is new every morning and that you are always there waiting on that connection with us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. And next week we will meet again, same place, same time, week six. It's going to be great. Invite somebody that maybe isn't here tonight that you think um, would enjoy being together with the women of the church. Invite them. Love you all. God bless.